Welcome to the Startup Launchpad Podcast. I'm your host, Carl, and in each episode, we are going to unpack key insights, expert advice, and success stories to power up your startup journey. Let's make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. All right, guys, welcome everyone um, once again to today's chat. And we're excited to have you all here. And um, like I said, we're going to be talking about defining a go-to-market strategy to give your startup a competitive edge. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited for today's talk. I think we have a lot of brilliant speakers that are going to be joining us today. And we really look forward, I really look forward to an engaging conversation. So um, let me do a brief intro of the speakers, um, just a brief bio, and then I'm going to actually hand over to them to kind of just introduce themselves, introduce their companies, where they work, and kind of like just give us a little bit of a background of what they do. And then we'll really get into um, the discussion for today. And as much as possible, we want to just make this a very casual, friends chatting conversation. So um, definitely um, listen up, take notes. Um, if you have any questions during the talk, just um, indicate. And once we kind of feel like we, have a, we can have a break, we'll take your questions. And if any of the speakers were having a discussion, you want to chip in something, feel free to just like indicate, jump in. And yeah, so I look forward to a great next 60 to 90 minutes. All right. So first up, let me introduce speakers quickly. So first up, we have Paul Macaria, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Kyoto Pay. And um, Kyoto Pay is a payment platform for real estate services that help property players with seamless payments and um, collections. Um, integrating banking systems and mobile money infrastructure. So, Paul, great to have you here. Um, next up, we have Kelechi Uchena. Kelechi is the co-founder and CEO of Nigenius.ng. Um, um, Nigenius is an ed tech startup that helps teachers automatically create quality, well-researched lesson plans and teaching resources on their computers, um, interactive screens, and mobile devices. So, Great to have you here, Kelechi, as well. We have Edidiong Ekong. Edidiong is the head of marketing at Alezo. Alezo is a Series A B2B tech startup that transforms how the informal retail stores operate. And last but definitely not the least, we have Kelvin Ogoli. He's the co-founder and CEO of, CEO of Co-Trust Equity, also known as Paypoli. And it's a finance and crediting providing company and they basically harness the um, knowledge of extensive knowledge of target audiences, um, peculiarities, and cultures to be able to provide um, unique credit plans to banked and underbanked, um, unbanked SMEs, MSMEs in Nigeria and Sub-Saharan Africa. So we have a very good mix of different people. We have edtech, um, ed we have um, fintech, we have B2B startup, um, kind of like in the informal market. And then we also have um, a payment platform in the real estate industry. So I think we have like a good mix of people. And now I'm just going to um, let the speakers just um, introduce themselves, tell us a bit about them, um, tell us a bit about their startups. And um, yeah, and then once we go around, then we would jump into the topic for today. So um, yeah, they can tell us about the startup, how long they've been in business before and just give us a bit of background about themselves and then we'll jump into the topic for today. So I'm going to start with um, Eddie Dong. Yeah, good evening, everyone. I'm happy to be here today on this space. Um, my name is Eddie Dion. Um, I currently lead marketing at Alezo. 
um, as background, Alenza is a B2B tech company um, focusing on um, e-commerce firstly and then also providing um, payment um, solutions, right, that empowers the um, micro-business SME um, sector um, here in, in Africa. Um, we have a range of products, um, including a laser shop, which allows that micro-business woman or who, who, who you would say maybe the mom and pop stores buy goods and it's delivered to them within 4 to 12 hours um, for free and at a good rate. Um, also have another product called Venus, uh, which allows the same woman um, to do bookkeeping inventory and also be able to, um, you know, get laws and, and also collect payments. And also, um, we're also empowering that woman with abilities to offer digital services um, through um, our um, agency banking um um, solution. So yeah, um, that's that's a lot around me. Previously worked at Boomplay, um, leading marketing um, here in Nigeria. Also worked with Clasha um, in B two B to see startup based on in San Francisco, um, which allows um, businesses, international businesses, collect payments um, in local currencies. We are happy to be here with everyone, um, and hopefully um, we get to learn from each other. Thanks. Thank you so much, and great to have you here as well. Um, okay, so we're going to also have Kelechi um, jump in. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for the introduction, Pearl. Um, so my name is Kelechi Uchenna, and I'm a co-founder of an edtech startup called Nigenius. Um, so Nigenius provides teachers with quality teaching resources and connects them to learners Right. I, I think the pearl, the, the pitch that you read was the old pitch. You know, pitches are always changing. Right. So we provide teachers with teaching quality teaching resources and connect them to learners. So aside providing teachers with quality teaching resources so they can create engaging classrooms, basically building geniuses in Nigerian classrooms, Nigerian, Nigerian genius. That's where the name came from. Um, we now connect them to parents who are looking for home tutors and we also outsource them to schools as STEM tutors. So that's what we do in a nutshell. Um, I'm an environmental engineer by background. I've been worked in the oil and gas industry. I left that in 2017. I went into entrepreneurship full time. I'm a father, a husband, a friend, and a, I would say I'm a tech entrepreneur as well. And um, it's great to be here because I think um, go to market strategy is a very, very important you know, topic for me. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. Um, so um, I have Kelvin and Paul are still having issues joining. We're having a tech issue. Um, so we'll try to see if they can get out of the space joining um, while we just try to sort that out. Um, yeah, all right. But great to have you here, Kelechi. Great to have you here. Didion, once Paul and um, Kelvin are able to join us, we'll get them as well. Um, so basically, I think um, a go-to-market go to strategy is something that is really key. Um, how you approach the market and how you get into the market with your product can be the difference between um, making it or just like being a total miss. And so we're going to have a lot of um, great discussions around it. And I think that there's no better way to learn than to learn from people who have been there, done that, and basically um, have in the trenches experience that can kind of share um, from their experience 
and um, we can learn from that. So I think that's where a lot of the learnings are going to be from. So let me just like throw out the first um, question to you, Kelechi, and that is basically, um, you've told us a bit about Nigerians. Um, you told us about Nigerians and how you got um, what it is. But let us know, um, can you give us a brief of how the idea came about, what opportunities you saw in the marketplace and how did you like identify your target market? Yeah, yeah, great, great. I like that. How the idea came about, um, what opportunities did you see and how, and how you identified your target market? So uh, I'll start with the idea. The idea came in different forms, right? First of all, I got into this with my first company, um, Innovative Digital Learning. I started out training teachers in teaching with technology, right, in the classroom to kind of improve the you know, learning outcomes and learning outcomes and student performances. So after a while, one of my friends that I got into beat the BT Seven program with, you know. We had 50 entrepreneurs who got into a program in 2017. And she asked me, ah, Mr. Kirichi, how are you sure all these your teachers, your training, how are you sure you're transforming the way these teachers teach, right? So that was a big question for me. I wanted to know what was the impact of these trainings. Then secondly, you know, I was in this whole classroom of 49 other entrepreneurs and everybody was building things. You know, people were building prosthetic limbs. People were making shoes. People were, you know, having tech platforms for crowdfunding for agriculture. And I was like, ah, ah. Guys, the only is the only training you're doing. Like you need to do more, you know. And um, so finally, I now decided to actually go and meet these teachers and find out whether we actually transformed the way they teach through the trainings that we gave them. And we discovered that a lot of them were not applying what they learned during the trainings. And why? I asked why, and I found out that a lot of them were very busy. They were overworked. Teachers are basically overworked. You know, they spend a lot of time planning lessons, marking scripts, controlling classrooms marking assignments, so they didn't have time to implement what they had learned. You know, and also talking with more of them, I found out that these guys were basically overworked, and I was like, okay, how can we help these guys? You know, these guys do a lot of work, and their work is so important, so how can we help them, you know? And actually help them improve the their teaching in the classroom through technology. So I decided to, we decided that we're going to build a smart digital assistant for teachers, something like a sidekick, you know, so it'll help you prepare your lesson plans, automatically generate a lesson plan for you and give you access to help reduce your workload and give you access to a stream of engaging teaching content, big videos, pictures, projects based on that particular topic you want to teach. You know, so that's where the idea for Nigerians came to build a, 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 a an assistant for teachers that will reduce their workload and give them access to world-class teaching resources. You know, and we started building you know, so we started as a mobile app, first of all, thinking that the average teacher could not afford a laptop, but they could afford a phone, you know. So we decided to build it as a mobile app, built it for, it took us about eight months to build, just about, and we wanted to run it as a subscription, you know. So we created the lesson plans, fed you with resources, and we're about to hit the market to run subscriptions at 750 per teacher per month, and school subscriptions from around, like, maybe like, um, multi-user subscriptions where you pay that one key for multiple people like you are doing sign up 10 people 10k you know but before we are about to hit the market a mentor of mine told me Kelechi, why don't you test this thing before you actually you know go to schools and start marketing it and teachers and start marketing it so we decided to do a pilot which is very very important it's always important to pilot your product first with a close set of people before you take it into the market you know so we took it to five schools did a one month did a one month pilot 
teachers were not teachers gave us positive feedback and negative feed, feedback. Positive feedback, they liked it. Negative feedback, it was clogging up their phones. They were searching the wood they couldn't find, and um, they didn't want to be. They didn't, and basically, we found out that they didn't want the lesson plans and teaching resources on their phones. They needed it where they were actually going to create those lesson plans, which is on their computers, right? So at that point, we hit a we hit a roadblock, you know, and nobody was subscribing, nobody was paying for the subscriptions, even after the product had gone live. So we hit a roadblock. So at this point, it was shut down the business, or you know, what do we do? Luckily, I joined, um, I signed up for Tony Lumelu, you know, my third time. I signed up twice with Innovative Digital, my first company. I didn't get in, but with Nigenius, the first time we got in, 2019. So that was good. You know, that was like a motivation. There are always the highs and the lows, you know. Things bring you down, but things also take you high as well. So with that $5,000, you know, I was still, I believe that we could get something from this. So we now built a new version, which had a smarter search algorithm, was on the was on the was on the web. You don't need to download any app. You just sign up, log in, and you can access it. Create, change the UI, and improve the search algorithm. Fine, it was good. Nice stuff. We launched again six months later. No subscription, no money from anywhere. I I had two options: either shut it down or shut it down or pivot. And I told myself, man, how do you? What's going to happen? And I now found out that the hard truth is that. Nigerian teachers are not going to pay you anything. You know, these guys are not earning as much as they can. So they're not going to pay you that money you're looking for. The people who can pay you in this market are parents and teachers. Look at all the big boys, all the people make, oh, sorry, look at all the people making money in EdTech. What are they doing? So I looked around and I saw that the people that were making money, the only one we could quickly pivot to as easily and as possibly as possible was tutoring. We had teachers who had signed up already because they liked the platform, but they weren't paying. And there were parents out there who were looking for tutors. So we said, sent out, created a Google Sheets, set up a link for signing up parents, for signing up teachers. Top teachers come and become tutors, connected tutors to parents, got our first payment. First parent paid like 40,000. Profit was like 8,000. Teacher collected 32,000. That 8,000 we made, we hadn't made it in three years in Nigeria. That first payment, one payment, we hadn't made that 8,000 profit in three years. Then I knew that, you know, the market is different. So, that was the go-to market strategy, basically. Like, what are you going to offer? Who's going to pay for it? And how can you quickly get the money out from the market? Yeah, that's basically the story in a nutshell. Thanks so much, Kelechi. You touched a lot of great points that I'm just going to like double back. I'm going to come back to because I think just in that story, there are a lot of lessons to learn. Um, but I see we have Kelvin on. So I'm really happy we got you on, Kelvin. So um, I'll just let Kelvin introduce himself, introduce um, his company and what they do and then we'll kind of like circle back and um, talk about a few of the points Paul was still trying to get you in so we will and we will have this discussion so um, Kelvin yes you can um, you can go ahead all right so I think Kelvin keeps on talking between speaker and listener okay so we'll get that sorted Paul can you hear us yes I can hear you great I'm almost, yeah great, great finally okay all right so just introduce yourself introduce um, Kyoto Pay and Kyoto Pay, and um, just tell us a bit of your background. And before we continue on, okay, uh, thank you everyone, and thank you for the patience. Uh, so my name is Paul, I'm the CEO co-founder Kyoto Pay. Uh, so basically, I Kyoto Pay is the payment platform for real estate services, just as you had in the introduction. Uh, so I've been a tech entrepreneur for 
the last like uh, five years, uh, three years of which have been full-time um, business. Uh, previously, before I came into Kyoto Pay, done food startup. I've done um, another real estate venture and I've done an online marketplace uh, for, um, for beauty products. Uh, so basically what uh, we're doing at uh, Kyoto Pay is that uh, we are bridging the gap in terms of payment for real estate services. Uh, part of the people that we're looking at is that uh, we're looking at the property managers and the property developers. Uh, and then we're looking at the flow of payments, whether it's coming from property buyers or it's coming from property tenants. And then we're trying to uh, harmonize uh, that entire process of how the payments move. And we do this by integrating with uh, banking systems and mobile money infrastructure to ensure that uh, there is seamless collection and um, uh, payment accountability along the way. So that's a brief about uh, myself and about KRTP. Yeah, back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Paul. And great to have you on here. So I look forward to like the insights you would share. Um, all right. So um, thanks, Kelechi, for that um, brief, um, just like background of um, how you got started. And I think you touched, like I said, a few points about just number one, how important is it is to Yes, we, I, okay, first of all, I think the very first thing is the fact that the idea and it started from you actually working with teachers and the best product starts from problems that you actually um, see and problems that you are trying to fill when there is a gap and you're actually trying to fill that and your story just kind of like really, really um, hopped on that. And then two, the importance of testing out your product. So it's one thing to like, even when you talk to customers and you say, okay, this is a need, um, you, it is very, very important for you to pilot and um, test it first with a target group, um, which is your pilot, and um, actually just get that actual feedback, whether negative, whether positive. It just helps you to um, build a better product. And it, it's way better than like launching in the market and having like total silence and crickets. So I think that's like a very, very important aspect of having a go-to-market strategy. You want that real-life experience of, what you've built being in the hands of your end users and them using it. And um, another, the third point I really liked is just the no giving up um, mentality and just the idea of being willing to pivot. I think uh, many times we can be so caught up in our own ideas that we don't actually um, kind of see like, don't worry about what you thought they want, they needed. What do they want? What are they actually willing to use and build for that? So I think those are some really key points. And I'm pretty sure that as the other speakers um, kind of talk a bit, I'm going to, I'm sure we're going to hear a bit more of those elements um, come in. All right. So let me move over to Eddie Young before we get to Paul. Um, so um, give us um, an idea and a background of just like how um, Alezo got started. I, 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 I came across Alezo very, very randomly a few months back. And so I feel like Alezo is one of those hidden secrets. <laughs> but give us an idea of how Alezo got started, how the idea came about, um, what opportunities were in the marketplace and the target audience and how you just, um, how it got started. Yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give, I'll give this um, um, story from, from a marketing um, head perspective and not as a founder, right? Um, so yeah, I'm yeah, not mistaken at any point. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, for Alezo, right, um, we saw a gap in the market, right? Um, before now, um, that moment, pop store owner would have to close um, his or her business and go to the central market, 
right? And that means traveling long distance, sometimes um, one or two hours, depending on which city the um, retailer is living, right? And on that day, the retailer would have had to close his or her business. I would have lost sales. By the time the retailer gets to the central market, right, she now has to now she now has to move from um, wholesaler A, B, C, on F, you know, um, aggregating all the products, um, haggling prices, and then having at the end, she now packs all of his goods. Maybe looks for a real barrow man if you're really familiar with central markets in Nigeria, and then a boss that will take, um, um, you know, take her back to the store. Right by the time she's at the store, it's almost late. Um, she's tired and all, and then consider the security risks. Um, attached and maybe at the central market she buys the goods at a really high price so we realized that the retail sector in Nigeria is really fragmented and it's really hard for this woman to be able to make a lot more money right and um and even stock up her store easily and so you know the solution was being built and for us like i said our target audience is majorly like mom and pop stores um who um, are in tier two tier three four cities right and have this challenge, right? And I mean that that was the starting point. <clears throat> and um, because because we because we build, you know, based on the ideal problem that customer face, um, technology was just like a second um, option, right? Um, after you know, um, customers kept calling us, you know, to deliver, you know, goods to them, you know, at their at their um, at their stores, right? We now had to build, you know, technology, you know, where we now have a simple app that. They can stay at their store, you know, place whatever order they want, and then they get this order delivered within four to twelve hours, which is basically our promise. Um, <clears throat> so that that was like the, the start of um, Alezo as a company, right? And along the line, we realized a lot of um, opportunities that exist to solve more unique problems. For example, when we deliver these goods to this woman or this man in her store, she doesn't know whether or whether or not. Um, 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 she's making money, all right, from from selling. You know, so we now had to like introduce a second application called Bidens, which allows her keep stock of her inventory, knows what products um, she has um, left, knows which product she's selling the most, understand whether she's making money or she's losing, and even keep track of expenses, right? So, so we, we look at this retail sector and we're building solutions to like really help them. The first thing is really understanding the pain points of our customers and what their gains are, right? Um, what makes them happy? Why should they use um, our solution compared to going to the central market? So, same up with having real understanding of being able to um, come up with a unique selling point, right? That um, that is is of is of interest to them, right? And so that's how we started, and we've been able to get a lot of traction, right? We also understand that. To a large extent, this retailer is not digitally savvy, right? And so even with how we build our product, we made it what we call a one-hand um, use application where as she's selling goods, you know, maybe with her right hand to her left hand, she's able you know, to make her order, you know, receive them, do her bookkeeping and also receive receive payment. So with great understanding of, you know, their peculiarity, we're able to like build um, this solution and also... Um, allow them to move from point zero to point one, you know, as it is, as it would be. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in terms of how we do marketing or how we, you know, reach out to them, because most of them are not really literate, right? So we've had to do a lot of localization, right? And that means that, for example, in if it's a Swahili-speaking community or area, we get the messages to them in Swahili. 
if it's a Yoruba community, you make sure that all the messages they get is in that language, is in that language. And that even happens right inside our app. We will we allow them to select their languages, right? So they can select between English, you know, Yoruba, Hausa, Igbo, um, and you know that that makes a lot of sense um, to them. So the, the 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 main thing is understanding them, understanding what what problems they face, and being able to like build you know solutions that really solves their problem. And that also affects. Um, how we do marketing, right? Um, for us also, um, because they're not digitally savvy, it's rare to catch them maybe on Instagram. And so what it means is that we need to go on the field to be able to onboard them, to be able to provide them with the education they need. Because yes, you know, they need this education to be able to even know how to use your app, right? And that's the hard tax we had to do to be able to keep them um, um, using our solution and as much empowering them uh, as it were. Thanks. Thanks so much, Adidang. And I think you just like gave us like a lot of insights. And um, like I, I think we saw some parallels. The fact, and I really love the fact that two things, really the fact about um being able not and I think um um Kelechi mentioned that as well, not necessarily producing cost um building a product and getting customers for your product, but actually building for the um building for the customer. And I think that is like one of the most um the best ways and just like um reiterating and pivoting and creating even more products for them to solve the problems and needs that they have. So one thing is if you're just aim at solving a problem for a particular audience, know, be clear about who you are serving, solve a problem for them and you will succeed. And I think um, another thing that's really interesting to me about Alezo is just the fact that many people kind of run away from that um, the fact that we have to, everybody likes the educated customer who is used to apps and everything, but you had to, um, Alessa had to do like grassroots, like just going all out. And like you said, just a lot of on the field and actually um, teaching people and doing the hard work of maybe even doing things that are not like scalable, like how tech will be scalable just to make sure that your consumers get value. And here Alezo is today. Um, so I think that's like pretty great. Um, okay, so... Okay, we still don't have um, Kelvin on. But Paul, do you want to speak a bit about um, how the idea came about for, I think you touched on that, giving a summary, but just going deeper into how the idea came about, opportunities. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay, thank you. Uh, So basically mine was more of um, a personal experience. So how it all began is that um, I was working in a real estate company uh, as a project manager. That was the last job I formerly was employed to do. So what uh, ideally meant is that I was supposed to travel to different cities, uh, supervising some of the projects um, my employer had. Also in Kenya, different probably from some other African countries, um, the rent cycles are on a monthly basis, uh, not like in some countries where most of the rent cycles are quarterly. Uh, so that means that at the end of every month, um, I had to go to the bank and deposit the rent. I had to pay through a bank agent. And of course, due to the nature of my job, you know, traveling occasionally, uh, that would mean that I would I miss the window uh, probably between eight and five when the banks are opened. And then what happens for the bank agents that are located uh, in areas that people live is that what happens is that um, they work on a float. Uh, so in cases in cases where everyone is depositing, especially uh, during those end of 
eight months when uh, nearly every other person is paying their rent, you find that in most cases they will run out of their float by the time it gets to 5 p.m. in the evening. What that would mean is that I would be unable to pay my rent, sometimes up to the past um, cut-off date. So what happened is that I did a bit of research just to understand why uh, the property manager, whoever was managing the property that was living in, was preferring to be paid through uh, the bank and not through the mobile money. And having in mind that mobile money in Kenya, its adoption is way above 70, 85% actually of all the transactions that happen in Kenya happening through mobile money. So I wanted to understand uh, why uh, it is not comfortable for the property owner to receive their rent or the property manager to receive their uh, rent amounts uh, through mobile money. So after having a discussion with the property manager, I discovered that one of the reasons why they wanted to receive uh, their rent through bank deposit is because it was easier to track all the payments when they are made through a single uh, payment method. It was easy because occasionally what would happen is that they would request a statement from the bank and they would be able to verify each and every payment. So that's how I uh, actually the dream of Kyoto Pay uh, got birthed. Uh, so initially what we did is that uh, we we talked to a few uh, property managers uh, just to understand how their operations looked like, uh, what what were the areas of their preferences, what challenges they were facing, and what actually um, the major pain points that uh, they desired to be addressed. Uh, so one of the things that we discovered is that um, there are actually there were actually solutions that were trying to do what uh, we wanted to do, but uh, there was a mismatch between uh, the kind of market they were targeting and the people who were doing the actual job. So what happens in our market is that we have property owners and then we have property managers. Uh, nearly 90% of residential properties are managed by property managers who actually aggregate us because they will manage different properties on behalf of property owners. On the other hand, uh, most of the solutions that were, are being rolled out in the market to are targeting the property owners who actually don't manage the actual properties. The second uh, issue that we realized is that there was actually a mismatch between um, the issue of payments, the issue of automation, and the issue of communications between uh, the property uh, managers and the tenants. For instance, uh, me as a tenant, I never got to know that uh, my property manager was having a challenge uh, reconciling the payments that was paying uh, to him. So what that meant is that I ended up being inconvenienced and he ended up not uh, getting the best value actually for his investment. Because so what, what would, that would mean is that uh, for anyone who was supposed to pay their rent at a particular date, there was a high likelihood that they would be in default, uh, especially due to a lack of access of a convenient method of being able to pay for their rent. So what happened is that um, we came up with a prototype of our product. This was um, late last year, around August, and we rolled out uh, to the market, initially targeting uh, the property managers. So what we did is that we had one product, so we had one uh, market that we were targeting uh, at, and we were looking generally at every property manager. But along the way, uh, just like um, uh, what even my previous colleagues have shared, is that we realized that uh, there was need for one market 
knowledge. And then we realized also our market was a bit, uh, was not homogeneous. All it, it had different preferences depending on the size of the customer in terms of how many properties they were managing and in terms of um, what was their portfolio and in terms again of uh, the kind of uh, transactions they were running uh, month in, month out. So one of the things that we did um, after the first run for about two months is that we uh, came up with uh, a, a good segmentation of our market and we developed two tiers of our market in order for us to be able to target adequately. So what we did for us, we uh, because we knew the lower tier required more, um, you know, more customer education for them to be able to use uh, our product. We actually discovered that some of our customers were having trouble even using Excel uh, sheets. Uh, one of the things we realized is that um, they were constantly asking for, you know, customization for, to be able to use the product. And after a keen study on uh, why, they, uh, what were the reasons why they were requesting this, is that we discovered that uh, they were actually semi-formal in how they were operating. Some of them, in terms of the technical uh, know-how, they were quite on a lower level. Uh, so what we did is that we modeled a product version that would appeal to them. And we provided tools now within our solutions that could address those gaps in terms of either technological know-how or in terms of uh, ability or the flexibility to be able to uh, you know, consume either their reports differently or even be able to uh, deal with the data that they were generating from the system. At the same time, we came up with a second segment, which is the upper market. And for us, uh, how we were able to do that is that we looked again at, uh, at the upper operations and their portfolio as well. Uh, for for what we did in practical sense is that uh, we picked uh, everyone was managing uh, between one property and up to seven properties. And then we took another category between seven properties to up 50 properties. And this is how we were able to properly target our market and we were able again even to direct uh, either our marketing efforts, our sales strategy based on the nature of uh, the kind of market that we are targeting. And that is how we uh, started out um, at the business or that is how we rolled out into the market. Uh, the initial feedback from the market definitely uh, they were pointing out a lot of things that we had not been able to develop along the way. But one of the problems that we were keen to avoid uh, was to impose a product uh, in the market that customers actually didn't require. So we were very careful to ensure that uh, the only features that we initially built were the features that were critical. Uh, for instance, how we defined our critical elements at that uh, early stage was are we able to, you know, automate payments? Are we able to automate the billing and the receiving of payment aspect? And then once we are able to do that, we knew that we had the framework to come and build the other things, but now not based on our perception, but again, based on uh, the real feedback that we are getting to the market. And um, 10 or nearly a year down the line right now, we have a product that is, is easy to adopt for the majority of people in the market uh, on one side. And then again, we are able to approach our customers based on their nature and their preferences. Actually, even the channels that we use to either to do marketing or the approach that we use in sales is totally different for our two segments of customers. And that's how we've uh, been able to um, get to where we are. And that's how we're able to scale, um, uh, again, focusing uh, primarily on the kind of customer we are serving and the kind of uh, probably feedback that you're expecting from them. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. That was like really detailed. 
And um, yeah, I think um, there was a point you brought out, which I think um, um, Paul and Eddie Young actually brought, brought out, but I didn't um, um, bring that out. And I think um, just in hearing all of you guys, um, there's something about being, if you want to build a product that actually serves need, you have to be absolutely obsessed about un understanding your customer, not just on a surface level, but on a deep level and really just like reiterating, like I said before, reiterating to serve those needs. But you have to like really, really understand your customer. You need to talk to your um, customer. You need to fully understand the problem and build for them. And one thing that also struck me is like, it may not always be the easiest thing to do because for instance, Adidas was talking about building an application that is a one-hand-use application. It's probably easier to go for people who are very tech-savvy and all that. But then sometimes, if you want to really serve your customer, you may have to do things that are um, that are hard for you, but make things very simple for the customer. And I think just listening to Paul as well, just talking a bit about that, it's like it's really, really hard work to like really come up with a product that um, that actually impacts and solves needs. But that is so, once you are able to do that, it becomes, um, it's so worth the whole um, journey. So um, so I think that's really great. And another thing um, I loved that Paul said was just about segmenting the customers and um, marketing to the different segments of customers they have differently. Because I think it's very important to um, match the message to the market. And that is like very key. In especially at those beginning stages, stages while you're trying to get traction in the market, I think those are really some important points. All right, so I'm going to let me see, Kelvin. Do we have you now, by any chance? Hello, hello, guys. Hello. Yay! <laughs> Finally, <Great>. yeah. <laughs> Finally, it's been a challenge this evening, but yeah. I'm happy to have you on the call. Thank you. Okay, so just like um, before we like continue, just give us like a brief intro of you and um paperly and just like yeah so that we just like get you in on the conversation as well oh great thank you very much thank you guys um coming in and out listening to a few of um colleagues speaking right so my name is kelvin kelvin Ogoli, and i'm a co-founder of co-trust equity co sorry <clears throat> co-trust equity and basically what we do co-trust equity is a micro lending a company and um, our goal is to build the first ever digitalized cluster parent platform for over 44 million micro on the bank traders in Nigeria and um, in Africa, right? So basically, what we do is we use technology to um, drive um, access to loan for uh, in a low level Spanish. And what we do basically is to use technology to drive loan access to loan for unbanked and on the bank micro traders in Nigeria and Africa. All right. So could you give us a little bit of a background on um, basically how it got started? Where did the idea come from? What opportunities did you see in the market? Who was your target market and how did that whole process go about, come about? Right. Thank you very much. So uh, <clears throat> we, we started October last year. So uh, we're uh, still very early in the market. And um, before then, I've been, I've been in that cultural space. Uh, had some really good success in the agricultural space. And my, my co-founder too, um, she worked in the developmental space, worked with the United Nations, working with grassroots developmental organizations. And um, so basically for us, we understood um, the, the terrain of grassroots development, know how um, small traders in Nigeria, the challenges they go through, especially the ones in rural and off-grid, <coughs> rural and semi-urban 
um, of great communities, uh, cannot assess loan from former financial institutions. And because we know very well that this loan is, uh, I mean, everyone, every business, technically, right, every businessman needs needs um, some form of um, uh, uh, money from external source to, you know, to grow their business. Yeah, right. So, but for these guys, because these guys don't meet the, the required requirement, the, the requirements uh, being posed by former financial institutions like the bank or, or uh, micro uh, MFBs, right? Um, so most of them don't stay in the market after one year in business, right? And then the the number, this the, the, these guys have the numbers, right? So we have about 44 million plus of them alone in Nigeria, right? SMEs alone in Nigeria, micro traders in Nigeria. And uh, <clears throat> the opportunities you still basically uh, we working with grassroots development. We we work with over the years. We work with some of um, some micro traders, um, uh, MSME, SMEs, right, to understand the challenge they go through and how this challenge can be solved. And we realize that the grass, uh, the 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 root of the problem they're facing, right, is access to to some form of external funds to. Uh, be put into business, not just external funds, but also how to manage those external funds when it comes into their business. And um, you know, when we left at uh, different um, uh, different individual organizations we're, we're working with, we decided to come together and you know try to solve the challenge. Now, when we came into the market, we realized that that there are some guys there who are who are, who are already doing wonderful and amazing jobs, right? So, but we realized that. Um, 70% of these guys who are already doing some amazing jobs, uh, permit me to call, sorry, let me not call names, right? So, like, guys are already doing amazing jobs, giving microcredits to, 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 uh, um, SMEs in Nigeria, right? Majority of them focus, uh, on SMEs in, in, in the urban cities. And, and, um, yeah, right. So they don't have relationship with, with these, um, SMEs. So when we came into the markets, we, we, we came in with a different ballgame mentality. And that ballgame, is to first of all build a relationship with these micro traders because we call us micro traders because we're dealing with with the lowest of the low, right? The guys who, who own a kiosk, uh, a small shop in front of the house, the guy who sells in the market, the uh, the guys who earn on daily basis, right? So the guys who earn on daily basis, and uh, this, we came up with a model uh, model that is focused on building clusters and communities. So uh, first of all, the first thing we did first of all was to 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 identify uh, women leaders, community leaders, right, who have some form of leadership experience, some form of lending experience, right, and uh, we take them through our training and give them ongoing support to set up clusters. And each of these clusters is made up of um, 10, 10 micro traders minimum. So basically, after setting up the clusters, the next thing they do is to go recruit for 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 clients in the marketplace, in the marketplace, or guys who and um, sell. In front of their houses, guys who basically earn on who earn on daily basis. All right. Um, okay. So we'll try to get him back on, but I do think um, like the different points we raised just from the other speakers, I think it just goes across like just how the process actually to even get into um, launching in the marketplace and that process you need to go through. So um, yeah. So um, let me just ask this question, and this is open to Eddie Young, um, Paul Kelechi. And Zion also, you can chip in. But um, when thinking about go-to strategy, what should founders be looking at? So we have people on the call who may be trying to like launch their own um, startups and they, are, they um, have an idea 
they understand, okay, I need to like understand my customer. But when thinking about, okay, this is how I'm going to um, attack the market, when they're thinking about a go-to-market strategy, what should founders be looking at in your opinion? So, Eddie Young, I'll start with you. Yeah, so um, sincerely, um, every product is peculiar. So there is really no one-fit-all rule. But um, the, the reference thing starts with understanding um, your market, then your competitors, right? And when you're able to do that, you can now think of can now think of um, being able to put up a clear product positioning, right? Maybe also pricing, and then um, you can you can also think around what your core messaging would be, right? And what channels you'll be able to use to um, reach out to your your core audience. It is also really important to be able to define your ideal customer profile who you really want to to target. You know, people call it buyer persona, right? So for example, if you're a SaaS product, right, and you hope to reach out to maybe um, enterprise companies, then you might want to say maybe uh, it must be a pre-seed company with maybe revenue of, say, $5 million every year. So that's already your ideal um, customer profile. So it helps you with, you know, how you want to put out your messaging, what channels you want to use to reach them. Right, so it's really peculiar based on product, but it's important to have that clear understanding of your product and who your product really solves for. When you do that, you can now think of where does your customers exist the most, where they spend most of their time, right? What are the things that interest them? You know, what are the activities they perform in, perform, right? And then you can now say, okay, I'm going to use this channel, right? I'm going to use this pricing model or strategy to be able to to get them to start. Um, using your solution so i always like the, the starting point and then you know also listening to your customers um after you've got let's say your first hundred um, trials you know or sign up you need to be able to listen to your customers um channel then i could also try it out and every day you have um you have data right you can say oh i thought linkedin would be the best but oh twitter is giving me the best the best result right so that's that's how to to go about it and then you can you can scale from there all right. Thanks so much, Eddie Young. Um, um, Paul, do you want to add to that or speak to that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, and just I, I think it's mainly what he has mentioned, but just to highlight or emphasize on the issue of just uh being able to know your customer. I want to say that everything probably begins at research, uh, market research. Uh, probably not the conventional way that we know market research to be. But I think the best research uh, that we can conduct is um, direct engaging the customers. Uh, if you are going to the market uh, for the first time, uh, definitely it is a potential customers that you are aiming at are reaching. It's always good to talk to them so that you get to understand. Um, because once you talk to them, again, you are able to understand what pain points are going through. Because sometimes... Um, we have a perceived uh, problem, but the customers might be facing a totally different uh, uh, problem. And I think one of the 
uh, issues with technology is that uh, technology can either be an enabler or it can be a burden, um, a creator. You can create an extra burden that people have to endure uh, for them to get uh, an efficient process. But again, it's also possible to innovate around um, things that people are familiar with. Uh, for instance, if I was to give an example, uh, you might be thinking that your customers use emails just to discover that your customers prefer using WhatsApp. So actually, an innovation that uh, circles around uh, WhatsApp will be more ideal than an innovation that circles around um, email communication. And probably the next thing uh, would uh, probably would highlight is the issue of um, the choice of channel that you decide to use. Um, ordinarily, when we talk about uh, social media marketing, it's not the same uh, across board. You might actually have a one a similar product, uh, but a social media platform like LinkedIn uh, probably appeals for one segment and Facebook appeals for another segment. Uh, so it's important to be able to use different metrics uh, to gauge uh, how your customers uh, prefer um, your product to be anchored towards. And again, uh, what particular needs they have and where you're able to uh, locate them as well. Uh, because in terms of your selling process, uh, having identified your customer, having come up with your uh, key selling points on key areas that you're trying to address, having identified uh, the major problems that you are looking at solving, it's always good to um, work with feed feedback. One of the things that I advocate for when you go into the market is that, um, and one of the things that as a business we have been uh, focused on is always being biased for action and uh, never planning too much before you actually start doing the job. Because what happens is that um, the initial reaction that you get to the market um, when you're getting, when you're introducing a new product in the market might be totally different from the lessons that you will be picking probably two or three months down the line. What happens is that you have to create um, a culture of uh, a continuous loop of feedback where you keep refining uh, your market strategy, where you keep re uh, refining um, your selling process as you interact with the market because there is always new ideas you keep learning in the market that you keep picking the lessons that you keep picking every interaction that I have had with the customers uh, even as early as last month and as late as probably four months ago. There are all these new things that keep coming up. There are all these new information that I keep gathering from the market, but it has to be a culture. It is not something that you will gather, prepare a document, and then you're good to go. You will might gather that information, prepare the document, but you should always be open to keep refining what you have come up with uh, initially. And probably the other thing would be every time that you are coming, with a, coming up with a marketing strategy, you have to define a very clear goal. Uh, Initially, uh, when uh, you're starting out, you want to build uh, enough pipeline so for you to be able to uh, qualify your leads and um, hopefully get some good customers. Uh, but again, if you're just approaching the market, you may not be able uh, to convert everyone to become a potential customer today. But if you are one of the goal being that you want to generate probably sufficient number of leads or sufficient uh, pipeline, that would enable you to uh, make sure that you don't only have sales for today, but you have sales for tomorrow. So I think the issue of having very clear goals uh, as you go into the market are very important. Uh, as you're doing your marketing campaigns, as you're engaging customers, it's very important to have a very clear mind. What are you looking at achieving? Uh, including even uh, probably if you are doing uh, the 
if you are contacting your customers even on a random time it is always good to have a particular goal that you are looking at achieving is it is it um i, I do want to uh, be able to tell whether your product is having the customer or not are you i do want to tell whether um you actually targeting the right customer or not because you might target customers even for two or three months down the line and then realize that you actually picked on the wrong uh, target group. So it's always good to keep uh, that continuous feedback in terms of what we are calling the market research or what you are calling understanding your customer or knowing your customer. It's not something that you just do and then that's, that's it's something that you keep refining, something that you keep creating. But most importantly, uh, it's always good uh, initially to be biased towards action uh, because the nature of startups is that uh, you have things that keep cropping up every other day. Uh, definitely every startup is uh, might be in a fundraising mode, might be trying to uh, get to a higher MRL or to a higher revenue at the end of the uh, period. There are a lot of priorities that you need to keep doing at the same time. So if you keep pushing things uh, aside to be able to do at a later date, you might get to a point that you have too many things that you have kept or you have postponed to do and you may not have sufficient time to actually be able to do them. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Paul. Um, those are some great points. Um, Kelechi. Thank you, Pearl. So great, um, great points from my friends, um, Eddie Diong and Paul. Meanwhile, Paul is my guy from Startup Wise Guys. We're the same accelerator together. So he's vibrating with so much knowledge. Yeah, so um, so guys, so I just want to touch like maybe four or five key points, especially for those who are thinking of entering into the, you know, building products and going to the market. Um, the first thing I would say is, the first one is pain point, right? Um, there are two types of situations. There's when you prov- when you're solving your product is solving a pain point, but one thing you have to understand is there's different from a pain point. And there's, there's, there's a difference when you have a pain point that is painful enough to pay for, right? Your product might be solving a pain point, but it might not be a pain point that is painful enough to pay for. So let me explain it to you. One guy has a startup that provides helicopter services across the town when people are in traffic, right? You want to get from point A to point B. You want to get from um, Pestak to the island and there's traffic, right? And you don't want you want to escape the traffic, so instead of you to escape, instead of you to instead of you to stay inside the traffic, you can you can pay and get a helicopter ride from Pestak to the island. I know I hate traffic, but it's not a painful enough pain point for me because I hate traffic. I want to go and pay for a helicopter ride. I can't afford it. Too much stress. I have to. Where, where's the helicopter going to land? Plenty, 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 plenty things. It's not a painful enough pain point. But let me break it down for you. You're in your house working at night. And Nepa takes light. Your credit has finished on your meter. You will open your laptop and open PyPower.ng and load light. Right? Because if you don't load light, you'll not be able to sleep or your fan will not blow you. You're, you won't charge your phone. A lot of things will go wrong. So that's a painful enough pain point for people to pay for. So you have to ask yourself, this is my product that I want to launch. Is it, are people going to, is it going to solve the problem enough for people to bring out their cards and pay? That's the first one. The second thing, again, is the business model. This is your solution that is very cool and very nice and everything. How are people actually, how are you going to collect money from the customers, right? Are you going to run a subscription service? Are you going to run a commission service? Are you going to run a one-time purchase service, right? For me, I'm very, very scared of subscriptions, especially in Africa and Nigeria, 
the only things Nigerians like to subscribe for are NEPA and DSTV. So may I rather take my subscriptions on one-time payments. But what I, the point I'm trying to make is how are people going to pay for your service and which way are they going to use to pay? Are they going to, are you going to charge them subscriptions? Are you going to charge them one-time? Are you going to charge commissions, right? Then the third one again is your product, right? Your service or whatever you want to put into the market must achieve product market fit. And product market fit is not just about getting your first customers. It goes beyond that. I think Paul mentioned something about sales for tomorrow, sales for next tomorrow, sales for next month. Are you going to have returning customers? It's not one customer comes and the next three months another customer comes or in a year you get 10 customers. You need to have returning customers that come month after month so that you have monthly recurring revenue. With monthly recurring revenue, you have annual recurring revenue and from there you can calculate your valuations and you can grow, right? So, for you to achieve product market fit, you have to give the market what it wants exactly, what is painful enough for it to pay for, right? So that is the second one. The third one, again, okay, so that's the, that's the third one, yeah. And the fourth one, I would like to tell people going out into the markets and just basically about go-to-market strategy is, I, I think the three, the three A's, right? Acceptability, affordability, and accessibility. Is your product acceptable, right? People are, are people accepted it? Is it solving a problem for them? Are they willing to work with it? Is it affordable? You don't want you want to get your pricing right so that people can pay. And is it accessible? How can they access it? Can they log in? Can they enter it and do what they want to do? You know, so these are the things you need. How how easy is it to use your solution? You don't want to complicate things, right? How can how can I make a payment? Do I have to go and do almost eight steps before I make a payment, or in one or two? one or two clicks, I can do my payment and I'm gone and I've gotten the service. So these are just the key things that, you know, you have to put into consideration before you go to the market, you know, pain points. Are people going to pay for this thing? Is it a painful enough pain point for people to pay for? Number two, what is, how am I going to get my money? What model of payment? What, what business model? The business model before the business, eh? you know, then number three, product market fit. And are you going to have returning customers, not just about your normal customers? And finally, the three A's, acceptability, affordability, and accessibility. Is your business affordable? Do the people you're targeting, do they have the buying power to pay for it? You know, is it accessible? Are you easy to access, click, log in? Can people sign up quickly? Then is it acceptable? We tried to do a, a, a business format that a Kenyan company was doing, an edtech. You know, we tried it in Nigeria, it didn't work. We're taking it down, you know, so... It wasn't acceptable to this market. So you need to understand what's acceptable. All right. So guys, that's just it basically in a nutshell. Yeah. Thanks so much, um, Kelechi. Um, Zan, do you want to add any few thoughts before I just kind of like summarize what everyone said? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I think uh, um, in terms of like defining your go-to-market strategy, I think Kelechi touched on it a bit and I think Edith Young also did that. So, um, basically identifying the problem. I know... Um, um, Clayton Christensen says something about the job that needs to be solved. And so in we need to have clarity on first and foremost the problem that is there and what what um job is actually being solved at that point in time and basically positioning your product as you know the right solution. And with that in mind, you'll find a cross-section of um, different customers that probably could use your product, but the 
um, you want to start with um, those that if they don't solve that problem, the consequences of not solving it is higher than, you know, the others, you know. And so defining your goods market strategy around that is actually, you know, very effective because a consumer takes in two ways. They're either running towards pleasure or running away from pain. So um, you have to position the product as um, something that, you know, uh, meets one of those two basic consumer, you know, needs. And so I think going with the problem first is very critical and understanding the job that needs to be solved. And because different products can be offering the same thing, but they are solving different problems and um, different jobs to the, to the customer. So that clarity helps to guide what kind of strategy you're going to, to, to leverage to go into that market. Thanks so much, Zion. Um, all right. So I think um, everyone had like some really, really great points. And I just want to like bring out a few things just for us to like just kind of take note of. Um, so I think um, Paul mentioned that it really starts with market research. Market research is not the funnest thing to do. And I think many people just want to run into building. But any great thing starts from market research. And I would agree like it really starts there. And he talked about actually not just the regular have a business plan, serve, like building something theoretical, but how can you directly engage with potential customers? So I think that's really, really important to know. And then I did not touch about um, how it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think um, there's a tendency to just kind of look like, what is that magic pill? And honestly, well, the magic pill has not been invented yet. Technology always does stuff. So let's see. But there's like really no magic pill when it comes to this. You have to understand your market, understand um, the needs that that market has, um, understand your competitors. I, did, I didn't talk about competitors. And so really learn from other people, yes, but really understand your market so you know what works for your market and what won't. And test things out. Don't be afraid to test. It's what marketing is all about. Test, test, test. And um, yeah. And then um, another thing that they mentioned was just, um, I think Paul and I didn't touch on this, is um, always, 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 um, listen to your customers and um, the way I put it is like just create a system to um, that allows you to get continuous feedback from your customers because those first few customers um, first hundred first thousand depending on what your business are, are, is, are they are really going to shape your product and the only way you can be better is having people who are using your product tell you what they want and you just build and reiterate to fill that um I loved um, what um, Kelechi said about the pain points. And I think it's one thing, um, build it and they would come is like the most, um, is, is the most dangerous pitfall you can get into. And then there's also the thing of people, there's, there are products that I like to have, uh, like it's nice to have, but and um, it's like, yeah, so this is the problem, but are you willing to pay? Is it a problem enough for you to actually put your money where your mouth is. I think that's very, very important. No matter what we're building, we need to make sure that the pain point is painful enough for them to um, buy. And he talked about the three A's, product market fit. I think we've had like a lot of um, points that we can definitely, actionable points actually, that we can definitely um, take away from this. Um, I have two more questions. Um, and I think I'll just like let the speakers touch on this quickly. And if anybody in the meantime has any questions, Definitely um, raise your hands. We'll take you shortly. Um, but one, th I, I have two questions that I want um, to throw open there. And that is number one. I think we talked earlier about the unique um, value proposition and 
being um very clear on what um being um having clarity on your unique um selling proposition but then i wanted to find out like when it comes to in your experience and in your particular um case how important was knowing and articulating what made you different from other people in the market what how important um was that in actually going to the market and actually like going into the market yeah so that's pretty much my question so um um Kelechi, um you can probably kick off all right good thank you pearl um so that's a very very good one so um so you know before we got into tutoring right we had a platform that supported teachers with lesson plans and teaching resources so i thought about it since we're going into this market that's already very saturated everybody's doing tutoring a lot of people are doing tutoring but what edge do we use to stand out to make us unique you know, to make us, to, to get, give us that gravitas, right? And I told myself that, you know, you have to define, there are a lot of people doing everything, there are a lot of people doing payments, a lot of people doing tutoring, but you have to recognize your uniqueness and, and shout it out, right? That's what you used to come to the market. So we said, we're, we're a tutoring platform that supports its teachers with quality lesson plans and teaching resources. Tutors on Nigerians will give your kids a world-class learning experience by leveraging the resources on our platform so that way we came up with a compelling story so you have to tell a story about your brand you know in your if, if you're in a competitive market for you to stand out your usp you have to find a way to create a compelling story about your brand that what sets you aside you know storytelling is very very important so um Nigerian, you see some on our on our flyers you see something like nigerian tutors leverage world-class digital resources to give your child an amazing learning experience but it's just still basic, basically lesson teacher and student, right? You know, another thing, again, we do is we're very big on reports. Even if we're not the only one doing reports, we talk about the statistics of our reports. You know, we say Nigerian tutors have created over 896 learning reports, you know, to show you that we're tracking and we're measuring what we're doing, right? So unique selling point is very, very important. And another thing you must understand, again, about USP is that Product market fit will keep you in the market, right? But unique selling point will keep you, keep is the barrier between you and your competitors who are willing to eat that market with you, right? So if you're in a market that you know is saturated, that has a lot of people doing what you're doing, you have to constantly have something that sets you aside, that, that sets you aside from your competitors that you can use to brag that, okay, do I'm easy now? So let me break it down as simply as possible. Um, we do tutoring. You do tutoring, right? Okay. We have a SaaS platform that provides teachers with curriculum, Nigerian curriculum aligned resources. Where's your own now? Do you understand? Where's your own? Or you just connect teachers. So what more are you doing? So you have to understand that your USP is very important by generating that moat that you need to stay ahead of your competition. But don't rest there. Always consider and think, what else am I doing? Diff what else can I do differently from my competition that will set me apart from them, right? So that's why it's very, very important. The USP is very, very important. So the two things I've touched on is your story, you know, your story and you how you compelling this story that makes you unique from your competition and where what next do you need to add? What next do you need to do that will increase the barrier of people entering into your zone you know, what is the barrier that will stop people from coming to take that large share of the market that you have? 
very, very important. Yeah, just, I just want to touch on those two things. Thanks a lot, Kirichi. Great point. Um, Paul? I think I would echo what uh, Kelechi is saying. Uh, Kelechi, happy to see you as well. Um, so basically, right, so basically what um, I think we have to look at, and I give my own, my own kissing point, and I'm sure Kelechi would confirm this. Uh, like when we were joining the accelerator program uh, like four, like five months ago, Ideally, my business was more focused towards just being an ideal property management system. And in that sense, um, I was not very different from my competitors, but I had to look for one unique thing that I was able to do better than my competitors were doing. And that became my selling point. And actually what happened is that when I found that one thing that worked for me is that I ended up uh, broadening uh, my target market because I realized um, the same problem that the property managers were facing is the same pro- uh, problem that the property developers were facing as well. So what, what happened is that I was able to narrow down uh, both to differentiate myself and again to... Um, be able uh, to narrow down the target um, group uh, or the target uh, areas that, that I was targeting in my business. So one of the things that I agree is important to do is that we have to find an area of focus, uh, both in terms of how do we sell our business, uh, even to our customers. I can tell you that uh, most of the customers that we tried to approach um, as a basic property managers, the first question was always, how different are you from other property um, you know, management softwares out there? And it would always be a hard issue trying to explain ourselves. But when we geared towards and we found our focus area being in payment uh, automation, uh, and when we, we, we finally settled on that, it became easier even to sell uh, some of the other functions that we still do like the basic property uh, management softwares but again uh, everything now begins at uh, that key uh, area that key differentiator and then we build uh, everything else on top of that uh, the other thing that i would say is that um I think the uniqueness of any business, uh, it's also tied in terms of how you execute. Uh, like I said, um, you have very many uh, things that you could uh, give preference to in a business, uh, especially uh, artistic business. Uh, even in terms of where do you put your development resources that are available to you? Uh, where do you put uh, resources in terms of marketing? Where, how do you brand yourself? Uh, what, uh, which areas do you pick to target? So I think um, it's, it's a matter of opportunity costs. Uh, what what gives you more benefit today, and what uh, places your business in terms of uh, you know a path of growth better than the other? So uh, like we chose to um, concentrate uh, the resources that we had uh, towards uh, building that payment infrastructure, so that again uh, we can be able to be consistent with what we are selling and what we are providing. Because so at the same time, uh, it is not just finding an area of focus, but it's finding an area of focus that people really need. Uh, like Rachi highlighted about the issue of pain points. You have to ask yourself, what is that one pain point, that pain point that people are willing, that once you solve that pain point, they're willing to 
to wait uh, for you to work on the rest of the things. And I can tell you that um, we've had customers take our product without uh, ha- ha- having us, uh, without us actually satisfying all the problem that they have. Because the problem that we solve is a superior problem than uh, than what uh, than the other problems they have in their own view. The other thing is you have to always keep checking on how are people using my product? How are people using Kyotapi platform? I may be thinking that people are using it for payments, but people might be using it for uh, communication. They might be using it to send bulk SMSs. They might be using it to actually uh, you know, send reports and so forth. So we have to really keep uh, investigating to know what kind of value are people finding in your product. Because every product will have more than one feature. And that is why we don't have a product uh, actually in the current sense that has only a single feature. You always find that every product has more than three features also. But you have to find what is that one thing that is actually solving a real uh, problem to the client and what, what is that one thing that customers are actually willing to switch from a competitor uh, to you? What is that one thing that actually people are willing to pay for that entire system? Uh, because today um, if you look at how people is um uh, probably again I give an example of WhatsApp. Uh, the people who use WhatsApp for business, the people who use WhatsApp for normal chatting, the people who actually use WhatsApp uh, to actually uh, probably build a brand. So you have to keep investigating to learn uh, what kind of value do people want from my product so that again you pick that and it becomes the major uh, selling point or it becomes the major angle or the major uh, um outlook that you want your business to be known for yeah okay so i i just um i think i cut off just as paul was finishing um and i know eddie dong wanted to speak um eddie dong have you gone uh, gone on have you spoken no no yeah okay yeah, yeah you so can maybe back. i could just yeah so i mean in terms of like unique selling selling points or you know the value that you know your product gives to consumers i think features is one Right, but then also is experience. I think lately people buy um, or want to want to have a great experience. Um, let me give a very simple example. Let's say I have like five fintech apps on my phone. I mean, most of them do almost the same thing. I mean, payments, um, when I transfer money, pay bills, and the rest. But what now makes for that unique selling point is now the experience I have using that product. Right. Is it the fact that their customer service is reliable, that even if there is a downtime, you know, or, you know, there is a transaction hanging somewhere, I'm able to, you know, get my reversal, you know, at the right. Um, how do I feel, you know, using using that product? So that could be something that, you know, as a company, right, or as a product in a very competitive landscape, you can push as your unique selling point or your the value that you provide to customers. And and that's why it's really important for most brands or if not all to be able to keep to their brand promise, right? If you understand that your product is reliable, they can push that as what makes you really unique. That that's what makes you stand out. And as much also listen to your customers to, you know, um, understand what really matters to them um, a whole lot. I mean, I'll give an instance, you know, um, at Boomplay, um, you know, early enough, you had, you know, Apple Music in the market um, and, you know, at some point had Audio Mac. One thing that really made us um, stand differently was the fact that we had lots of African catalog. That's something Apple Music, you know, and maybe Audio Mac and Spotify at that time they have, right? And that's what people really, really cared about, right? Um, for 
for our target audience, all they wanted to have is letters, Miskit song, or letters, David song, or letters, song of whichever artist, even all catalogs like that of Fela and the rest, which, you know, then, you know, um, Apple Music didn't even have those kind of aesthetics, right? And that really made us really unique. That, that made us stand out. And here's also boils down to distribution, right? You know, because your unique selling point could also be the ability for you to be available everywhere, right? Maybe I could move a little bit away from like a tech product, right? To say maybe a beer. Um, let's say you spend a lot of money, you know, advertising Henneken or maybe Budweiser, you know, or maybe Coca-Cola, maybe any drink, and then I go to the store and I can't find it. Now, that's a disadvantage to you as a business because I have, Different, different other options at that point to choose from, right? So your ability to be able when the customers need you, right, really also matters. And I mean, circling this back to like boom play, right? What we did was at different points where we know that our customers really existed. And, you know, through our transition network, we were able to have pre-installation of, you know, boom play into these devices so that anytime you buy a smartphone, techno, you know, an Infinix or an iTel phone, you already have that as your um, default default player. So that really helped us. And I think also that could be really helpful, like for most startups, you know, well thinking around pricing, thinking about a unique, you know, value proposition, you know, selling points. You should also look at distribution, you know, am I available at different places or at points where my consumers really want to, 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 to use my product. So I think that, that could also make for a difference. Thanks. Thanks so much, um, Eddie Young. Those are some really, like, that's a really, really good point. Um, and I'll just, like, touch on some of the things. Um, Zion, did you want to quickly, did you want to add anything relating to the USB and um, and um, your USB and, like, um, launching in the market, your go-to-market strategy? Um, and just before you speak, if you want to, um, if anyone has any questions or just about wrapping up, definitely, like, let's know, come up, and then we'll take you your questions before we wrap up. But Zion, did you want to add anything? Um, from a unique um, selling proposition standpoint, I think is basically um, tied to what makes the product what makes the product different from everything out there in the market. So, because the way I look at it is that um, if any market is very is lucrative enough, there are going to be more players in it, right? So it's. Um, it's all about like how do you you know position yourself to stand out in that space and um, making that very clear and there's what we also talk about like the the unique selling proposition unique value proposition and you know clearly defining that because um, the perception of value sometimes is, is maybe different perceived differently for different customers and so clearly at, clearly communicating it to to who sees this at value is very important. Like um, a scenario which I often use is like a Toyota and a Rolls Royce, right? Those are both cars moving from point A to point B. But Rolls Royce is selling something totally different than what Toyota is, Toyota is selling. Toyota is selling mobility. Rolls Royce is selling luxury and exclusivity. And so we are now talking about the intrinsic value and the practical value of what the product actually does. And so looking at it from different standpoints, we just, you know, create that like what I would call like a blue ocean strategy where there are no other competitors in that space and you therefore have an edge. Um, thanks so much. Okay, so I think that we are good. I think somehow we just have like really horrible network today, but I do think that we've had a really, really good discussion. Um, okay, I see we lost someone else as well. I think we lost Kilichi. 
Um, okay, so Kelish is a listener, so we'll try to get you back to be a speaker. Um, so just finally, last words, um, Eddie Young, Paul, Kelechi, um, what um last piece of this, like my final question, what piece of advice yeah. would you give um a founder just trying to like what have we not covered and just like a piece of advice just from your experience would you give um a founder um just um trying to like launch into the market they've mm. launched into the market they're just trying to reiterate what piece of advice would you give them so just we'll just take um everybody one after the other yeah. so um okay yeah, I, you can go I have to i have to join another meeting so please just let me just let All me right. just drop quickly sure. and say um, go ahead. so my advice is number one uh, number one is have a support system you know have people around you who can you know tell you when you're going wrong when you're doing the right when you're doing the wrong thing when you're acting nasty you know people who you can fall back to because you're, you're in this journey you're going to make a lot of mistakes you know you need to have that small circle of people around you that you know you can unwind to and just talk about what's going on um um fail quickly you know fail quickly you know then uh, again is um listen Listen to people, man. Like, take feedback. You don't know everything. Two heads are definitely better than one. And um, another thing, again, is, you know, whatever you do, don't run out of money. Don't run out of money. Then the final one is um, be bold. Yeah, be bold. Sometimes, as much as we're trying to be careful, we're trying to analyze, we're trying to, you know, take that, make that move that your heart is with. Do your research, but sometimes make that move. Even if you fail, no Allah. You failed, you learn, you buckle up and you move again. You know, so that's 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 the way. That those are my advice to everyone. Zion, thank you so much for having me, man. Thank you. And the whole startup launch part, thank you guys for having me. I have to run now, okay? Bye. Thanks a lot, Kelly. Right, thank Thanks. Bye. Right, have bye. a good one. Bye. Eddie Young. Yes, so I think um more like Kelly's side, um, it's also really important to understand that, you know, as you're hoping to like launch your product, you know, to the market, it requires a lot of patience and you need that. Um, as much it also requires a lot of hard work so you should be willing to put in the hard work um you don't need to expect that you know first day you're out you know with all your strategies you know you're going to succeed if you fail learn from those mistakes right and keep and keep going um most importantly also is being able to like define what success means like or looks like you know for your product for your company um if you're able to do this then you're able to benchmark all your activities um, to what you're expecting. If you don't, then keep iterating, you know, um, go back again. Sometimes it's not about your marketing strategy. It could even be about the product. So um, do the fixes on your product and, you know, come back again. Um, hopefully um, you'll be able to, to win. But then, you know, um, it requires a lot of teamwork. So um, be willing to listen to people, take advices who have done this in the past, maybe have failed and, and try it again to be successful. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. And Paul, last words. So personally, what I would say is that um, I like the slogan by Nike that says, just do it. Uh, so I think when you're starting out, you're more in the danger of inaction than actually making mistakes. Uh, even a corporates, big corporates that have existed for years and have a lot of uh, structures in place, they still make mistakes. So I think the most important thing is that uh, move quickly when you're starting out. Um, do as much as you can, uh, but move as fast as you can. At the same time, try keep keep your doors open. Um, I think you get, just survive whatever you have to do. But most importantly is that 
other than over planning, plan as you do. Actually learn on the job. Um, it's okay to make mistakes, uh, but the most important thing is uh, don't make those mistakes when it's too expensive to make them. You better make them now rather than uh, raising $2 million and then you make those mistakes. If you make those mistakes early on, uh, chances are you will still survive. But if you make uh, mistakes that are disastrous when you fundraise, you might end up closing your business. Uh, so that's that would be my advice. But again, I would say I find the right people in terms of team. Um, have have a way of recharging yourself, whatever you have to do, do it. Uh, but keep your energy high so that you keep giving to your business. Because startups are demanding. Uh, they, they, it's not like a typical eight to five job, a typical um a uh, job that whose job is uh, a job that has a uh, clear description in terms of what you require to do. You might actually end up doing quite a lot in your startup uh, because there's no one who is more passionate or one, no one who understands the vision better than you do. So occasionally you will sell, occasionally you will direct the product people, uh, occasionally you get involved in the actual work. So the most important thing is that be prepared for a lot of work uh, and keep moving. Uh, whatever happens that would be my parting shot great thank you so much paul and thank you everyone thanks to our speakers eddie young paul and then kelechi and kelvin who have um well we have it we had a hard time with kelvin and he had a hard time with the internet but thank you guys so much you guys brought a lot of value a lot of lessons for everyone listening and so we are we are grateful for that and thanks to everyone who just chimed in and stayed on and listened we hope you got some value from it we hope you most especially like have some actionable points to take from this so um one thing we always like to do we like to actually get feedback from you guys on how you enjoy the twitter spaces what you want to hear more about so definitely there's a um, tweet pin to this chat definitely um give us your feedback both the speakers and listeners give us your feedback on there and um yeah so thank you guys have a great rest of the evening and we'll see you next time for our next chat bye thanks for tuning in to our podcast if you found value in today's episode you can find more at gotlaunchpad.com stay inspired stay innovative and keep building those dreams until next time bye